All right, so now we're going to be off the Chinese podcast app store. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I just bashed China, so we're out. Welcome to the React Native Nerds podcast. I'm Spencer. And I'm John. Join us as we dive into topics you need to know about to become a better developer. All right, welcome to episode number five of React Native Nerds podcast. I'm Jonathan Wheat, and joining me from the music cap... Whoop, nope. Take two. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I was trying to be all slick. And joining me from the country music capital of the United States, Spencer Carley. How are you doing, How's it Spencer? going? Hey, pretty good up here. We had some uh, some of your storms roll through last night. Yeah? So, yeah, I've been having some fun internet issues this morning. <laughs> uh, the joys of working from home. Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, I've been tempted to get a business internet connection a few times. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Is that expensive? Yeah, it's way more expensive. I don't know. I've got AT&T here and it's just, it's garbage. <laughs> mm, yeah, I have uh, Comcast. Okay. And I'm out in the country. There are a lot of poles between them and me. That, right. Uh, sort of sway in the wind and <laughs> drop at random intervals. So what have you been up to this week? Uh, I've been playing around with Firebase a lot. So setting up React Native and Firebase via React Native Firebase. Playing around with that. That's been fun, uh, just kind of re-implementing stuff on the rebuild I'm working on. Then also nice. kind of soft-launched a new, or kind of a, a revamped version of React Native Basics, which is a free React Native course. I think we talked about it in the last episode. But basically, I wanted to update this course for 2020. It's all hooks, all, all that new fancy stuff. Um, so that's kind of softly being rolled out right now, kind of testing it out on a few people uh, to make sure it actually teaches people something. Nice. That's great. Yeah. Cool. So with, with Firebase, are you doing the uh, caching for offline and then syncing when you're back online? A little bit. So what I'm using it for primarily is storing some static files. So we've got a bunch of translations that we need to manage, but they're only updated once every, I don't know how often, but not very often. So we're just using Firebase storage for that. And okay. basically the way it's set up is I check if there's been an update to it. If there's been an update to it, I download it, and then I save that in async storage. And from that is what I actually go and basically populate what our translations file looks like. We do that for translations. We've got a giant list of hospitals we use Firebase storage for. And yeah, that's that's kind of where I've primarily been at. Testing that has been an absolute beast that I have not figured out yet, though. That sounds uh, daunting. Testing always yeah. is. It's never super easy. Right, especially with such such a, a complex library like Firebase, or complex to me, I guess. Mm. What have you been up to this week? Uh, well, when I was editing the podcast, um, I realized that I totally stumbled over that really funny commercial. Well, it was funny in my mind, that commercial with the Ginsu <laughs> knives, because mm -hmm. it's supposed to cut through the tin can first and then cut through the tomato. But when I did it really fast, I said it cuts through a tomato and still stays sharp enough to cut through a tin can. Well, oh. <laughs> unless your tomato is really, really hard, it's probably going to stay sharp enough to cut through something else afterwards. So I just laughed at myself when I did that. So, you know, you don't need to, to tweet right. at me letting me know that was wrong. <laughs> Everything is going well with uh, the podcast. We have our host going up. Our new episode came out um, with no problem. So that's good. Having some issues still getting us into Google Podcast app and working through that. Hopefully that'll be resolved. I don't know when. Uh, everything looks mm -hmm. good. I don't know if it's just a Google is taking time to index everything. Because I know sometimes when I push an app to Google Play, it's hard to find for a, you know, a few days 
slash week, you know, before it actually comes into the search results. And if our podcast is brand new, there's probably no hits, right? There's no mojo behind it. So it's, it's probably way down at the bottom of the list. And I don't know how their podcast, their podcast app actually surfaces those podcasts. So it might be the top 10 popular ones. So it might be a while before we show up in there. I don't know, but we're in Spotify. We're indexed with Stitcher and, uh, obviously iTunes and all that sort of stuff. So hopefully everybody in the world will be able to listen, you know, soon enough. Right. Eventually. Yeah. Eventually, eventually. (laughs) Or you can just go to, um, you know, you can install a different podcast app and catch us there. Or, uh, we are also on Podbean. That's our, our host and they have a player. So you can actually install the Podbean app podcast app and listen there as well. Mm-hmm. But I did think it might be neat to do a mobile news section, you know, sort of what's going on, not necessarily React Native specific, because a lot of this other news that I'm going to talk about in a second sort of affects us or could affect us. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you've ever wondered if your app could get really big, uh, Grubhub sold for $7.3 billion. And like Carl Sagan says, billion with a B. That's a lot of zeros. That's a lot of zeros, yeah. Yeah, I did some Googling. I couldn't tell if they use React Native for that or not. I couldn't find um, find that out. You know, I know a handful of really popular big apps do use that. But uh, regardless, I did some Googling. And if you wanted to jump in on this, because it's such a big, big industry, uh, I found a React Native template for $299, and it's a food delivery app. So if you want to get in on that, there's a link in the show notes. You can download that, purchase that, download it, and start up your own uh, food delivery service in your area. And who knows? You might sell it for $7.3 billion. Yeah, maybe. Which is just, I just can't imagine. That's yeah, so I don't know. It, this is something with tech companies that still blows my mind. It's just the valuation around these. Yeah. Yeah. Companies with you know so little physical assets. Yeah, and I know it's not actually a stack of money. You know, there's, right. there's a, I mean, stock and all this other other stuff filters into that, but still, that value is just mind-boggling to me. The Chinese government has asked Pocket Cast multiple times to remove their app, and Pocket Cast would not because that would be considered censorship. And mm-hmm. the government finally went to Apple, and Apple took it down. So Pocket Cast has a quote on their site as of June 11th this morning that says Pocket Cast has been removed from the Chinese app store by Apple at the request of the Cyberspace Administration of China. That sounds kind of (laughs) kick-ass. We believe podcasting is and should remain an open medium free of government censorship. As such, we won't be censoring podcast content at their request. Um, And that's from Pocket Cast. So that's kind of scary. I mean... You know, I know China sort of governs information and news, um, but mm-hmm. I guess I guess they just went straight to this company. And I don't know if, if they have other podcast apps. Maybe they've already had all of the other podcast apps pull out of China. I'm not sure. But that was just kind of eye-opening, I guess, that a government could do that. Yeah, it's censorship in China is no joke. It's very yeah. curated. All right, so now we're going to be off the Chinese podcast app store. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I just bashed China, so we're yeah. out. <laughs> well, they probably use the Google podcast app anyway. We're not in that, so we're right. <laughs> so next up, 
I'm looking at stuff and I found this Git repo called React Native Windows. And in our show notes, I have question mark, exclamation point, question mark, <laughs> exclamation point, question mark. So at first I thought this was React Native to build Windows apps for the Windows phone. God rest its soul. <laughs> and uh, I'm reading and it says this repository adds support for the Windows 10 SDK, which allows you to build apps for all devices supported by Windows 10, including PCs, tablets, two-in-ones, Xbox, mixed reality devices, etc. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> this sounds really cool. If anybody listening to this is using this, I want to know about this. I want to know what you're building. I am a hardcore Apple fanboy. I, I use a Mac all the time. However, I have to use Windows for my, my day job, my normal job. I'm just sort of fascinated by this, knowing that you could use React Native to build I don't know, Xbox? Obviously, you're not building Call of Duty with React Native. <laughs> but I'm curious what sorts of things, interfaces and whatnot. You know, maybe you could do some really cool HUD display or something for yeah. um, mixed reality device or whatever. So definitely tweet at me when uh, if you're doing this, uh, React Native nerds. So they must take React Native core and then tweak the live and snot out of it to get it to work with the Windows 10 SDK. I've tried to research this a little bit, but like, you know, I haven't used Windows in, I haven't used Windows seriously in, she's going on eight years now. But like, I think this is one of those really cool things with React Native because, you know, we're writing into this translation layer where we're writing these view and text elements. And then it's down to kind of the implementation of React Native iOS or React Native Android to go and translate that into the native code that actually is going to run on the system. So like, as we're seeing, the possibilities are endless. We can run it on. We've got React Native Windows, we've got React Native uh, Mac OS, React Native TV OS, all these different things. So it's just cool, like as React Native gets more popular, we've got these different target devices that we can actually use. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty wild. Uh, next up, um, Apple plans to announce ARM transition for all Macs at WWDC 2020. So this means an end to Intel, which... Wow boggles my mind yeah. almost as much as a $7.3 billion <laughs> because I thought you needed, I mean, they're going to have to retool and maybe everything. this is easy. They're going to have to retool everything. All of the, our SDKs, objective C Swift, all that's going to have to work with arm. Does that work with arm? I have no idea. I always thought I've... you needed, you needed an Intel processor to build iOS type things. Well, aren't our mobile devices, they're arm based, aren't they? I have no idea what oh, I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. That's very clear that I never know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so they're going to put mobile processors in uh, in all Macs. That'll be interesting. I mean, like, if we look at the processor, and it makes sense, like, Apple makes, as far as I know, Apple makes the processors that run their mobile devices so they can own more of that supply chain that actually goes into their mm. their devices and start to take the the desktop style machines and do similar to what they've done with the mobile and like if we look at the ipad pro i mean the processing power on those is incredible so i wonder then if they're going to be uh they're getting all elon musk trying to do more you know quote in-house i mean right I know they're not going to make it make these processors here probably but um, if they control that maybe you'll end up with a more seamless sort of environment between a mac and an ipad yeah, Pro, you know, so that's that's something to look forward to. 
or look out for and see, you know, how that's going to change. Definitely. Our main topic today is OTA over the air updates. And this is a, this is a pretty cool topic, a pretty neat way to sort of patch your apps real time. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah. So over the air updates are basically updates similar to the way a website is updated. You publish code and then a user downloads downloads it the next time they use the app. Something, if you're a web developer, you're used to. That's just kind of the way it works. But, and I know this was a big transition I had to make when I got into mobile development, was typically when you want to update your iOS or Android app, you need to recompile that app, upload it to the appropriate app store, and then wait for that to be approved in Apple's case, or wait for it to be indexed and actually published for Android, uh, which is a process. And if you ship a bug, or you need some big change, whatever it may be, it's a process, it takes time. It takes a lot less time now, but it does take more time than you may be used to. So over-the-air updates allow us to basically circumvent that process to publish JavaScript or images that update the functionality or fix a bug over-the-air, kind of independent of the App Store, so that a user, the next time they open the app, uh, can actually get that updated code nearly immediately versus waiting for that whole process. happen yeah which is really cool if you think about it Mm -hmm. because you're forcing the app to swap out that javascript because it sends the whole does it send the whole thing up does it do a diff do you know i'm not sure exactly how it works for some reason i feel like it packages it up yeah i don't know they do it smart and it happens really fast yeah it's neat i actually was using this in my app specifically for beta testing and Mm -hmm. i may have only used it once when it was live but uh, it's really nice because if you have, I mean, even if you're, you're doing beta testing, maybe you're using test flight, maybe you're using installer app, um, and there's a handful of others that you can use, or you're just emailing people links to, you know, to sideload things and whatnot. But it's cumbersome to have them reinstall the app every single time, you know, they hit a bug. Mm-hmm. That's the whole purpose of alpha and beta testing is to find these bugs. So you're continually rolling out new versions almost constantly you know you get a bug maybe if you're if you're a single developer like me i usually fix the bug and push it out fix a bug push it out i don't sit there and wait for three or four to come in and push it out because my users are actively testing it i have their attention so i want to i want them to keep their face in my app and keep testing things out So it's super convenient because you can just fix that and push it out. Uh, You can send, I'm trying to remember, can you notify them using code push to restart the app that it's updated? I think I used to send a push notification outside of code push is what I would do. Yeah, so with the actual, with code push, which is one of the ways you can actually do over the air updates, um, you can kind of define how that update is when it's downloaded and when it's applied. Those are kind of those two uh, variables that you can modify and change. And then, yeah, if you want, you could send out a push notification, which would have to be independent of code push saying there's an update available, press it. And maybe if, you know, you could set it up where you've got a listener where if they open the notification, it automatically downloads and immediately applies that kind of thing. There's a bunch of different situations. But like you were saying, the situations where you're typically going to want to use over the air update, I use it primarily in beta testing. So right now we're doing this rebuild. I just published it in the app store yesterday. Building and publishing to TestFlight typically takes me around 25-30 minutes to go through the whole build process, upload it to TestFlight, wait for TestFlight to process it, and then for it to actually show up on 
my beta testers device. So it's not a huge iteration period, but it's kind of a pain in the butt because I can't, I basically can't do any development while I'm waiting for this build to actually complete before it's uploaded to test flight. So with code push, because it's only the JavaScript side of things, there's no compilation that really has to happen there. I mean, it's bundled and compressed a little bit, but it takes 30 seconds tops typically to go ahead, do all of that, publish it and upload it. So my downtime as a developer, when I'm looking for all that iteration speed is much, much less. Um, and it's, it's easier. It's less work for me. So anything that enables me to work less, I'm all about. Very, very convenient. Yeah. And then another one that I've used it for before is just basically little bug fixes that exist in my app that need to get fixed. Or maybe like I was saying earlier, if I've got some sort of translation in my app and maybe I don't have it stored on Firebase, it's just hard coded into the app. I can go ahead and use code push to quickly and easily update those little things that not many people will notice, but it is important for the overall app to work. And what about um, pushing out new features this way? What do you think about that? Yeah, so this is kind of getting into that gray area of over the air. Once it's, once it's live, if it's in beta, you can push out new features. Right, yeah, beta, like if it's on test flight, it doesn't matter really what you do um, to some extent. So I guess before we get into shipping updates, something that's important to notice or to note about over the air updates is it's limited to your JavaScript and your images. So the reason it's limited to just those is because your JavaScript is interfacing with native code on the user's device, which was compiled and downloaded. And then you're just interfacing basically through that JavaScript API with those native components. So if a native component doesn't exist on their device, you can't ship an over-the-air update that interacts with something that doesn't exist. Basically, the way you need to think about it is anytime you're working in the iOS or the Android directory, or if you're using Expo, or I guess just React Native in general, if you're doing any sort of upgrades, you're going to need to do a native build, compile, upload, that whole process before you can go and do any over-the-air updates because you need that native code to interact with on their device before your JavaScript can over-the-air update and then interact with all that stuff. So that's something that's it's important to note. It's JavaScript only. If you change anything that's native in the iOS or Android directory, you need to go through the normal compilation and then upload that through the App Store in the typical upload process. Yeah. So if you're if you're popping out and doing an npm or yarn, you know, installing a package that way, you're going to need to rebuild because that's typically going to drop some new native code somewhere. Potentially. Yeah. It, yeah. It depends. Like if you're just adding. Um, I don't know, something like Lodash. Lodash is an all JavaScript library. You can go ahead, add that, and then release an update that has Lodash on it uh, over the air. Whereas if you're using something like oh, okay. uh, React Native Async Storage, um, which is a React Native community slash async storage, that's got native dependencies. If you want to use async storage in your code, you need to, after installing async storage, you need to go ahead, recompile the app, and upload that. So it's just kind of a case-by-case -case basis, really, of when you're going to have to do which one. And it's important to know that those those limitations do exist with over-the-air updates. Do you know if uh, Code Push or the studio let you know that you can't do this particular function? As far as I know, it does not let you know. Um, okay. So with Code Push, the way it works, the limitations it can have is basically, depending on what version of it is, it follows Semver, and if it's a like a minor or a patch update, um, it handles it in one way. If it's a major update, then it won't 
basically like an over-the-air update won't apply to previous versions in case there are any of those native changes. So you can go ahead and upload the current version or you might have to do a separate over-the-air update to apply to previous versions of the app. It's really easy, so Code Push is really easy to get up, up and running. All its defaults are really nice, but then there's like dozens of ways you can actually go and customize exactly how it functions for different versions and all that stuff. The customization is nice for sure. Mm -hmm. With that said, with all those caveats kind of covered, um, how does this actually work in terms of, like what are you releasing in an over the update? Well, this gets into a gray area. Well, with Google, I guess we'll cover that one first because it's easier. Google doesn't have a review process, so it doesn't really matter too much uh, what you're shipping over the air. Obviously, you still want to go through the App Store because it's still the way people are used to it. But when we look at Apple, Apple has specific policies on over-the-air updates. Over-the-air updates are allowed. A ton of apps use them. But the big thing with Apple is you can't change the functionality of your application in comparison to what was reviewed and approved from the Apple review process. With that, you're pretty limited on your use of over-the-air updates in a production environment. Two things, like I was saying, where maybe it's a translation update or maybe you're fixing a minor bug. Uh, you can't ship a new feature with it. You can't remove a feature. You can't do all those kinds of things. You need to go through the typical app, Apple review process to go with those ones. And then you want to use these over-the-air updates as kind of just minor behind-the-scenes updates that are just little things that most people aren't going to pick up on to ensure you kind of comply with this gray area of Apple's policy. Um, whenever working with Apple, I always try to take a very conservative approach where I don't want to rock the boat too much uh, because Apple, they'll deny your app, um, or kind of take it off the apps, or if you start pushing their gray area policies. So I always like to keep it careful in the terms of uh, Apple and their updates and making sure Apple is aware of everything going on to the extent that is possible. Do you think when Apple reviews an app, they have something to alert them to the fact that this has code push in it? <laughs> So that, I remember there being a discussion about this a while back, and I'm not exactly sure how that works. Um, yeah, I would love to know the review process. Yeah. Are they installing this on a bunch of simulators? Is there an automated thing, you know, that goes through? Because I know when you when you initially upload, occasionally you'll get some notification because you forgot to put something mm -hmm. in your P list, and you know you got you got to change that, especially if you're using location services and you forget to put a description in or something. I know there are some automated checks, but I'm just curious if they, they scan the code to see what libraries and things you might actually be using. Yeah, that'd be interesting to learn about because it definitely seems like a, a black box, the Apple review process. Yeah, that's their secret sauce. They're not going to tell you right. what they do because <laughs> then people will try to game it, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of the, the high level of over-the-air updates. They're really, really useful. It's something I like to add into most apps that I build just because it's a nice safety net to have for any production bugs I may have. And then it's also a super valuable tool. If you've got a group of beta testers, you can basically set up different places or different tracks that a beta tester could download an update versus a production user. And that's another way I, I use it in TestFlight. Basically, I have a, a secret way, a Konami code to some extent within my app to allow a user to become a beta user, in which case I point them to like the staging branch or staging track of Code Push versus the production one, which I can upload and iterate through much faster. Nice. Throughout this, I've, we've been talking about Code Push, and Code Push is kind of like your 
primary means that you'll see how to implement over the year updates. It's a tool built into Microsoft's App Center, which is an awesome resource for React Native development in general, but CodePush itself has been a standalone product for years within React Native. And then in the last year or two, it's been rolled into App Center. It's a free service that allows you to upload, distribute, and share your JavaScript from you know your machine, bundle up that JavaScript, publish it. It's super customizable. You've got a lot of things you can do with it. You can set up different tracks, as, I, as I've said. But what's really nice is the default functionality of CodePush. It's once you install it and set up your CodePush app within App Center, it's like two lines and you can have CodePush working. You can have over-the-air updates available and then you can go ahead and customize it. With CodePush though, uh, it is limited to your React Native init apps, the apps that have the iOS and Android apps or Android directories in your application. Um, if you're using something like Expo, CodePush is not an option for you because of its managed workflow. They handle all the native stuff for you. That being said, Expo being Expo, they handle so much for you to make development super, super easy. Um, Expo does have an over-the-air update system built into their app, and that's actually kind of what's driving the Expo app on your device so that you can test your app before you actually publish it and build it. That's all working on over-the-air updates, and you can go ahead and leverage that in your actual production app as well. So super, super useful. I've used both CodePush a lot and Expo's built-in over-the-air update system. So you've kind of got, got it covered regardless of where or how you're actually building your React Native apps. Yeah, that's nice. So you can go to, uh, I believe it's appcenter.ms mm -hmm. and create a free account to, uh, to get started. There's really good documentation up there as well. A lot of tutorials online. You have a, a course I saw really nicely detailed as well. Actually, that's what I used when uh, I implemented it in mine. Perfect. <laughs> yep, for sure. And, you know, YouTube people you jump on YouTube. There's a bunch of tutorials out there. You know, Spencer's are more detailed, I'll have to say. I had to say something this episode. <laughs> I'm five for five so far, pushing your stuff. So <laughs> waiting for that royalty check to come in. <laughs> And I just wanted to add, there's a, I have a special mention. I had no idea this even existed. Uh, Walmart is a superstore, you know, a big box store. And they have Walmart Labs, which is basically their IT group. And they've created something called Electrode. And it's been around for a while. I was looking into this. And they have it specifically for web apps, for Re React and Node.js. And then they also have it for React Native. And they actually have a server that you can spin up on your own. If you want to, looks super painful, but then you can hook your React Native app to your server, and then you can manage all of this stuff. But that just sounds like so much extra work to do. But, you know, some people are into this. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I want to do it myself. There's docs on everything you need to do, everything you need to set up for this, if you actually want to host that yourself. Uh, more power to you. Yeah. I would just use Microsoft App Center. Right. But I know some people absolutely hate Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so something. But usually with... those people also hate Walmart too. Right. So I don't know what you're going to do. Yeah. I mean, a perk of, you know, running this system on your own, like you said, it's going to be, that's going to be complex, but um, nothing is truly free. So like with Code Push, yeah, you're not paying for, you know, with your money. I think maybe you have plans available where you can actually pay money for this service. But, you know, there's always that privacy question. So if privacy is very important, maybe spinning up your own service makes sense for you there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you have any sort of sensitive data or whatnot. 
if you're building mm -hmm. an enterprise app, not in the app store, you can, uh, you know, probably spin this up, have this on-prem, and then all of the employees in your enterprise, you can push out live updates to this way. Yeah. And then you're not hitting Microsoft. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Still wouldn't want to do it myself. Though. Yeah, 100%. Right there with you. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> no way. Do you have anything else about that? Um, I mean, that's all really that I had. Yeah, that's all I've got. Well, good. This was a good episode. And uh, next week, I think we're going to be talking about our dev our development environments and our workflows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that sort of stuff. <laughs> I mean, like I've got a handful of YouTube videos and I think, you know, regardless of what the topic is, it's what theme is that or what editor are you using? How do you get that autocomplete to work? So hopefully that'll uh, answer some questions. I, I understand it's it's interesting how people have their workflows set up. So I'm excited to share our various uh, React Native and just kind of general development environments uh, in the next episode. Yeah, and I'm so lazy, I just copy what he does. So there will be a lot of times where I said, yep, that's what I did too, after he posted how he did it. Or yeah, I asked him what he did and he told me and I did that too. So I think, you know, mostly our development environments are gonna be similar, but mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll have some, some exceptions there. So look forward to that one next week. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you in the next episode. Yep, see you guys, bye. Thank you for listening. You can get show notes and leave comments at reactnativenerds.com.